Alan Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You are in the Transporter Room. We had planned this wonderful, happy opening. We're going to talk about spring. We're going to talk about all the wonderful things that are happening. Flowers are blooming. The sun is in the sky. I lost two pounds. But Arkansas had to go and effing ruin it. Thank you, Arkansas. Thank you, Arkansas. Carly, tell everybody what happened. The Arkansas House voted 71-24 to override the veto of Governor Asa Hutchinson. And the Arkansas Senate voted 25-8 to with two leave to do the same. So now, as of so as of July 1st, House Bill 1570, which bans and criminalizes affirming health care for transgender youth in the state of Arkansas, will become law. Yeah, and, maybe as early as late July. And here's the thing. They're talking about banning not just surgeries, but even puberty blockers. They're getting in between families and the doctors and saying that doctors cannot prescribe very important medicine. This is life-saving medicine for young people who are aware of their gender identity. Think about what happened in puberty to us, okay? We had male secondary sex characteristics kick in. Despite the fact that we knew who we were, it changed our bodies. What puberty blockers are are reversible pause buttons. And all of the doctors want to do is give these kids a chance to figure themselves out. But now, if this goes through, if this isn't stopped, it'll be the law of the land in Arkansas. But we have Chase Strangio. That's true. The ACLU has, Chase Strangio, when, won't these states understand, number one, that when Chase Strangio tells you if you pass these bills, we will sue you, believe him. What You're about he? to get Chase tithed. Yeah. It's happened before, ask yeah. Idaho. Yeah. But he's going to take it to court. And so is the yes. rest of the ACLU. And what's sad to me is that they don't understand what this doctor in Chicago said, Dr. Robert Garofalo. He said, these lawmakers aren't just anti-trans. They're anti-science. They're anti-public health. That's a, and that's a perfect way to put it. You're going, they're threatening to do things such as slap handcuffs on healthcare professionals who are doing what their professional organizations, every professional medical organization in the world that has respectability in the medical community says, this is what you do with trans youth. Affirming care is what you do. And you're gonna go against that. Yeah. And you're gonna criminalize that. Several I'm, medical and child welfare groups, the American yes. of Pediatrics. This is the first state in the nation to ban gender confirming treatments and surgery. And this prohibition, I gotta tell you, it's not necessary. They aren't operating on little kids. No one under 15 or 16 is getting these surgeries. Most kids don't even get it until they're 18. So the surgery part is just like, you know, that's just misinformation. But it really bothers me that the so-called conservatives want to be in between parents and their doctors. Just wrong. Just wrong. It is wrong. And but that's but you know something? That's what conservatives do best. They say government out of your life, just in your bedroom, <laughs> on your web page, and on your TV screen and everywhere else. And next year is a gubernatorial election year. Yeah. And so there and one of the people involved is somebody 
one prominent name who can make hay out of this is a certain person named Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yes, yes, the so governor's daughter, the former White House liar. Uh, I think she's a shoe in to be honest. I I will tell you, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because it's a long way to it's a long way to next November. But well, that's where, lying, so but that's that where a lot of these bills are coming from. A lot of these bills are coming from people lining up for twenty for twenty twenty two. That's and where look, a lot yeah. of it's coming from. And look at Christy Nome in South Dakota. She's probably shot her wad. I think she's finished there because of the trans bills. Maybe, maybe not. It's a long way to 24, too. And that's you true. don't know what that field's going to be like. 2024, That and that's what it is. I personally, I hate being a political pinata for everybody's <laughs> presidential hopes. Yeah, it's all but politics. That's what we're, but, but that, on one hand, that's what we're having. And on the, and on the other hand... However, there are the people that are using this, that are using this particular issue to get into some higher positions, even in sport. Isn't it interesting, though, if you think about it, they claim that we're the ones trying to push identity politics, and yet they're the ones who are making our bodies political. We don't want it to be political. We just want to be. We just want to be. And yet all this stuff goes on because they need to have somebody to hang out there as the boogeyman or boogeyman yeah, pretty much as especially in republican politics that's the way they always that's the way they've always done it after all i've always said a, a, a conservative is like a scared child in a dark bedroom they're always looking for the boogeyman and like i wrote in my op-ed on on day of visibility it it just smacks so much of a monster movie mentality for me like mm -hmm. oh my god is he it's these transgender people. They're going to rise up from the sea and destroy Tokyo. I mean, cue the Great blue line. oyster yeah. cult. Yeah. That's, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> there goes Tokyo. Transgender women. Yeah. That's how bad. That's how bad this. That's how bad it just sounds. It's, it's very dehumanizing and it's demeaning and it's just wrong. And, and then, yeah. And then we have the women's policies. Women's Sports Policy Working Group. Oh, you mean the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. Let's let's call truth and advertise it. Well, they wrote to me asking if we would stop talking about it being cisgender women versus uh, trans people. And they want us to frame the conversation as biological women and all women and trans women and non-binary people against men. They want it to be all about against females against men. And, you know, if they had more trans people who actually were on board with their group, I might be able to say, yeah, sure, it's a women versus men thing. But they, they insist on sort of st stepping us aside, putting us in that other category. One of the things they're talking about is that if a trans girl doesn't have access to or doesn't want to use puberty blockers or go on hormones, that she should have a separate category. She should have a separate platform, a separate podium, a separate award. She should not compete head-to-head -head with trans athletes. What do you think about that, Carl? Don, you know my honest feeling about the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. That Now they're trying to, like, you can't shine. They're trying to put the smiley face on discrimination again. This is a group who has said that they are totally wedded to the idea 
that it's okay to misgender me at will. After all, there aren't these the people that said, and I and, and if I understood you correctly, Don, we need a scientific definition of who you are. And we'll, if you give us an alternative one, then we won't call you biological males. When there is, when there is those designations, they're called transgender and, and cisgender. cisgender. Yes, that's well, what it is. And what do we do, Carly? How do we fight this? How do we fight it? Well, for starters, that it's for all of us, no matter if you live in a red state, blue state, to be aware of something you say a lot, Dawn, is, as journalist, is that we have to make society aware and informed because an mm -hmm. aware and informed society has the best tools to fight back. But we have to also be prepared to get a little radical, which means we, we're going to have to march on these state capitals. We're going to have to get in these people's faces. Because it's and not just yes, Arkansas. And right? across the country. There's right. 29 states where they're where they're battling over this right now. I heard today 30 now. I don't yeah. know who the 30th is, but oh my God, 30 states, that's more than half. I mean, we're we're building, I mean, you know, again, I I think of John F. Kennedy in that in the first in that first presidential debate in 1960. This country cannot stand half slave and half free. This country like it, cannot I like it stand, better when you said it with a Boston accent. <laughs> this country cannot stand <laughs> half slave, half free. This country I, cannot stand with with 20 states where I have rights and 30 states that I call no trans land. As I explained to the people at the Human Rights Commission in West Hartford, it doesn't matter that we have a blue state with a Democratic governor, Democratic state house, Democratic Senate, state Senate. What matters is that I will go to a state in the United States where my rights disappear. My rights end at the border. That's wrong. That's why we need the Equality Act. That's my home state. <sighs> That's my home state. Going home to Nebraska will be a very will be a very difficult thing. And they have a governor very much similar to Asa Hutchinson. I'm sure. I mean, there are so many states in this union. I, I think of a state. I think of states also like Indiana. My favorite sporting event, my favorite major sporting event is ran in Indiana. It's the Indy yeah. 500. Yeah. Am I going to be welcome on Memorial Day weekend? Well, I hope you stay home because of COVID, but. <laughs> vaccinated. Well, no, but the no, but the point is, is that well, I'd be welcome this year or future year back home again in Indiana. I don't know, five hundred mile race. I mean, a future Super Bowl. A future. What about Florida? I want to go to Florida and visit. Yeah, Disney World. I'm I, as a trans woman. Am I going to be welcome there? I don't know. Even though, even though Disney says you're welcome to be there, but your state that it's housed in isn't. Or and yeah. plus, I know you love Florida. Jacksonville was one of your favorite places to work and live. Yeah, daughter was born there. But let's just focus on the science, right? Isn't this where yes. we really have to focus? Not just activism, but education, information. I have an inkling that we might be able to pick up somebody as we pass over in orbit over Kentucky. What do you say? I say it's time to beam up a certain jangle science lad. SJW Debates, a.k.a. Justin Gibson, is going to tell us all about the science involved here. Shall we energize? Energize! I, I'll, yeah, there, there I am. I'm here. <laughs> Are you all in one piece? Did you make the transfer okay? Uh, mostly, yeah. No, no, good. Make sure no mirror. There's no mirror jingle science lad who's like <laughs> who's like in the super straight movement that came behind you, right? Nothing like that. I don't know. I'd kind of like to, to meet him. And then if we touch, maybe like, uh, I don't know what would happen. It would be, it would be good for science. Matter. <laughs> yeah, it would be good for science. <laughs> Justin, welcome. Welcome to the transporter room. 
Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, let's just get this out of the way. Where did Jangle Science Lad SJW debates come from? <laughs> this, this comes from um, coming up with your username at three o'clock in the morning uh, with no with no thought and no expectation of it ever being said out loud in any place legitimate. So, yeah, imagine like your Xbox username when you were 15. Imagine that's like how you were introduced in your professional context. And that's kind of how that came from. It was just, you know, just something silly. So I was always interested in debates. So uh, getting into the debate sphere. So I've done a lot of uh, online debates, if you want to call them debates in the first place, uh, especially on transgender topics. Um, and I just wanted to put forth it. I, I really pride myself in scientific research. So I have a master's degree in biomechanics. I have, you know, I've been a certified personal trainer for 10 years. I you know, have the bachelor's degree in kinesiology. So I really pride myself on having a very research informed opinion. And that's where uh, science lab came from. Uh, just something lighthearted to try to bridge the gap between like the, the woefully obtuse world of academia uh, with all its jargon and all, and all its like, <laughs> and it's a, it's ivory towers versus something that could be understood uh, by someone without an, uh, you know, an, an enormous background in the topic that we're talking about while still framing the topics as correct as possible. So I'm a teacher by profession. I really like taking these really immensely complicated topics and giving a good representation of uh, the science behind those topics to an audience that again, might not be, as complete with the complete backgrounds uh in academia so well one teacher to another i'd like to make sure the class understands will you tell us your pronouns and how you identify please uh, i am he him i am a, a cis man and i am quite gay so <laughs> quite so on the gay meter it's quite okay we'll have to make that distinction uh, it's a very scientific distinction there's kind of sort of and quite Yes, been married to my husband for a few years now. We're almost heading up on our nine-year anniversary. So, yeah. Well, well, congratulations! Don't forget that anniversary. Now, one thing also, at one time you were a competitive power lifter. Not a very good one, but technically, technically I competed, and I, I did my best. I lifted heavy things. I had a ten-second deadlift. Yeah, you normally you don't measure your deadlift by how long it took, uh, but. I had a, it took me 10 seconds to get that thing up and it counted. So yes, I was a competitive power lifter. I was a competitive bodybuilder uh, a ways before that. Uh, the biggest difference between the two is I realized that I really like pizza. And so I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to shift sports and something to, uh, into a sport that would allow me to eat a lot of pizza. And that's where I fell in love with powerlifting. Well, then, I'm, I'm going to give you a little tip for that. If you want a sport where you can just eat some pizza and you can burn it off being a, going to endurance sports, <laughs> Okay. Because you can eat. No, no, believe me. A couple of, like on on Easter Sunday, I did thirteen point. I ran thirteen point five miles. I'm tired just hearing you say that. Yeah. See, I picked powerlifting because I get to like work for ten seconds and then rest for ten minutes. That's kind of that's <laughs> the other big thing that was involved, right? Hey, there was chicken and fre There was chicken Alfredo involved at the end of it. So, I mean, if you if you want to support where you can like. Eat, eat without guilt and then burn it out, burn off all the guilt. Endurance athletics is the way to go. But one thing, Justin, what led you to build, the, to build this video that you built that directly took on a certain, a certain person who's an aficionado of insects and another researcher? What made you take this topic on? So I've always been interested in advocacy but in terms of like paying it back 
So I was a little bit too young or at least not politically involved enough to be uh, in the, you know, the big discussions around gay marriage and gay rights. And although those are certainly still not over. Uh, so I have a family member who uh, is trans. Uh, I have some dear friends of mine who are trans. And this is just kind of my way of paying it forward for all the work that I wasn't able to do. Uh, this, like I said, this is my way of kind of paying it forward. And since so I've already independently done a, a lot of research. I've done videos and debates in support of uh, trans people in the past. And I also realized, hey, wait a second. Here's the, where the conversation is heading now. I have two degrees in this topic. I have 10 years of experience in this topic. I think I have some like legitimate scientific background on its own uh, to marry like something I do uh, as my like uh, online career, if, if you want to call it that, and something I do in my, you know, in my in real life career. So I wanted to like marry the two. And what resulted was a video that took months and months of research. I almost have as many uh, citations in this video as I have in my actual master's thesis paper. So it was uh, an enormous amount of work and I hope it stands up. Uh, so and let's hear where, where are you uh, teaching and where did you get your master's? So I got my master's degree from the University of Kentucky. And uh, as well as my bachelor's degree, because, you know, don't, uh, you know, going different places is scary. Uh, and I currently teach at a, an academy for uh, personal trainers, massage therapists, as well as uh, yoga instructors. I teach the anatomy and physiology courses there. Got it. And you, I asked you to take a look at the women's sport policy working group FAQs, which, to be honest, that's my biggest problem with this group is that they seem to have littered their entire philosophy in transphobia. And I was wondering, as someone who's an expert in this, am I wrong? Are they wrong? Is biological male the correct way to describe a person like myself and Carly? So when we use terminology, it's always context specific. If you are a reproductive biologist, I think, you know, there is a certain definition of like a biological male that you can go with uh, because that's specific to your field. And that's going to give you a lot of utility in that field. Beyond that, though, if we're talking about sports, the most salient factors are not chromosomes. They're not gametes. They are hormonal profiles. That is the most salient factor. So in this case, like that's to say uh, to say that someone who has a hormonal profile that would be very, very comfortable uh, in the women category to say that, well, actually, since they have this, since they have these gametes, since they have these chromosomes, they're still a biological male. I think that's really, really iffy, and it can point uh, to some maybe not so maybe, maybe sim somewhat malicious motivations behind it. Not not it's not diagnostic that they're immediately trying to be as transphobic and exclusionary as possible, but it is a flag. More of the other, the bigger flags, in my opinion, from the FAQ section of this come from like their framing of certain questions. So if this is a group that is explicitly designed to like cut through the toxicity surrounding the topic because it's a lot of toxicity i think we're all we'd all be in agreement on that a lot of especially republican lawmakers have latched on to this idea of trans sports of biological males competing against your daughters they've latched on to this as sort of a uh the 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 last bastion, the last defense. Now, this is this is the spot. This is the spot where we can uh, take our transphobic ideas and gain some sort of foothold with the general population. So this is like what they're holding on to because, you know, suddenly they care about women's sports. Uh, 
that there is a lot of toxicity around that, that that should be cut through. And if you're reading some sections of the website, I think they do an okay job about that. Not everything is steeped in that. But when you explicitly build your organization around this idea that, that the conversation is toxic, there are two wait, like a lot of hatred for trans people has infected it. So let's try to get down to the to the bottom of it. When you explicitly frame a lot of your questions as are advocacy groups correct when they say that it's a myth and an outdated stereotype? What are you talking about? What advocacy groups? Why have you chosen to frame one of the questions in your FAQ as explicitly against advocacy groups, but not actually against advocacy groups? They don't give any source to an actual advocacy group that says this stuff. This question would have worked for the purposes if they had you know, completely you know, non-bigoted purposes behind why they were framing this question. You could just say – you could just talk about the myth or whatever, but to phrase it as our advocacy groups correct, and then they get to you know bring up their answer as no, they're not correct, they're wrong. This seems like it's very duplicitous, and it goes and it's, it goes against their stated principles of trying to cut through the toxicity to bring like a common sense uh, solution between the two sides. But to me, that's a those are huge red flags, and they do it multiple times. What were your three biggest contentions against what you saw in the Hilton and Lundberg research? Three biggest contentions. One is that they can uh, conflate trans women as a representative sample group of males. And even though they had a lot of research, the, the research that they were pulling would show that is not the case. So let's say here is like the average male muscle mass. Uh, and as you can see, like uh, the trans women in this study, uh, their, their muscle mass only went down by this percentage. And that doesn't even come close. But when you look into the data in the studies that they were citing, trans women uniformly had significantly lower. Uh, muscle mass starting out before hormone treatment. So to say that they are a representative sample of males, and I, you can't see me since this is a podcast, but I have males in, in big heavy quotation marks. This is just simply inaccurate. This is not a good comparison. This is not, you're not uh, taking apples out of a group of apples. Um, another big contention is that because they're stated, I think what their, their motivated reasoning is to find why trans women it isn't fair for them to compete in uh, the the female category of sports. They'll take any difference they can find and then blow it up. So, for example, they'll take they'll uh, in their list of big sex differences, the average differences between males and females. Uh, they list things like pelvic width and height, and they just kind of make this assumption that this is somehow this somehow matters in terms of sports performance where most of the data that says that no, not really. It doesn't really contribute to Q angles, for example, all that much. It doesn't seem to have any real impact in gates, which is how, you know, how the body runs. It doesn't seem to have any real impact in uh, the way the muscles attach that would provide force. And there are a ton of other factors involved uh, that are way more important than the simple uh, width of the pelvis. But they put that forth as one of the sex differences with, because it seems like it should matter. So another thing they'll do is bone density. We've all heard the bone density argument enough. The research that I was able to find, and no one's corrected me on this because I, I, I looked far and wide, bone density is a matter uh, of injury rather than of performance. So as long as you have sufficient bone density to prevent injury in any given sport, having more of it doesn't really help. A comparison that, uh, that I thought of as, you know, well, well, actually, I'll, I'll stick a comparison a little bit later. Um, but <laughs> as long as you, because I have a better use for it, if you have enough bone density in your sport, having more bone density isn't necessarily going to contribute to a better, you know. To so, in a sense, you're talking about a law of diminishing returns after a while here, as yeah, far right. as that is, as far as that issue. 
Oh, definitely. And there's, you have that in all aspects of sports. There's a certain point where getting stronger isn't going to help you. If you take an athlete, uh, a football player, and you get him to squat 700 pounds instead of 600 pounds, that's wasted effort. Like the 600 was plenty. Um, another... well, let's take off the other ones. How about lung capacity? How about cardiovascular? Oh, I was. Oh, I hit you. You you read my mind. I was about to talk about lung capacity. Go. <laughs> yes. So for lung capacity, again, this is one of those things that sounds like it should really, really matter in, in the uh, discussion, like bigger lungs. Okay. Bigger lungs means you're going to be better at endurance sports. Well, not necessarily for two reasons. One is that bigger people need bigger lungs. And so if you are taller, you need uh, more, you need bigger lung capacity to like fuel all that stuff. And two, and this is the way more important one is that lung capacity doesn't, is not a, uh, a limiting factor in exercise performance in healthy individuals. Of course, the key word there is healthy. If you're a smoker, it doesn't really matter how like, yeah, then, then it could be an issue if your lungs aren't big enough. Uh, but for the vast, vast, vast majority of athletes, lung capacity is not the is not the limiting factor. It's the heart's ability to pump blood. Uh, it's the blood's ability to hold oxygen and it's the muscle's ability to utilize oxygen, not the surface area that you have for gas exchange, which is what lung capacity is there to measure. So this really doesn't, and again, so pointing out this big difference between like men have this uh, or males have this uh, lung capacity and females have this lung capacity. It's a difference without any meaningful context. The analogy I was going to use is if we're, if we're playing paintball, all right. So I, I used to really like to play paintball. I still I, do. So I get, yeah, paintball, I'll get this. Yeah. So, and if I have a thousand paintballs, I have like in my hoppers and stuff, I have a thousand paintballs and you have 800 paintballs. Do I have an advantage? Well, not really, because most people aren't going to get past like, you know, a couple of hundred paintballs in any given like, game. Right. So me having more doesn't necessarily offer me an advantage because running out of paintballs, as in running out of lung capacity, was never a limiting factor in the sport to begin with. So that's kind of the analogy I was, I was building up to. Uh, yeah. Any, any of the other ones that I've missed over so far? It's the people who say, well, just look at this person. Look how tall they are compared to, say, average women or. They say, well, I took biology in high school. Everybody knows biology. Yeah, I love I love the second one a lot because like, hey, I vaguely remember some stuff I learned in biology from high school. That And that's all there is to it. Biology stopped there. All of biology is in that old ratty textbook with a bunch of like lewd drawings in it that I that I uh, borrowed for a couple of months in high school. That's all of biology right there. <laughs> um, what was the first one? People judge based on appearance. Yeah. So I'm looking at a picture of Cece Telfer standing next to girls who are shorter than her or Hannah Mouncey, right, Carly? Yeah, Hannah Mouncey, who's, you know, Hannah Mouncey, Gabrielle Ludwig, all these different photos without context. A, a textbook example is the Cece Telfer photo where she's lining up before the 110 meter hurdles at Division II Nationals in 2019. And she seems the dwarf this 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 woman who runs for the University of Minnesota Minnesota Duluth, the girl from UND won the national championship in the event. There's in the public consciousness, and especially in in a lot of like right wing services, there's a spectrum, and on one end of it is athleticism, and on the other end of it is femininity. Like the more athletic you look, the less feminine you are, and that's so we just get garden variety sexism along with transphobia and a lot of that i mean think of how many like cis uh, women athletes have been have like been subject to like having their appearance scrutinized because they were too muscular one of my one of my favorite athletes of all time holly mangold a just just a 
I say beast in the, with the be- most love behind it. She was an Olympic weightlifter, crushing, throwing up immense amounts of weights, and she was and she was competed as in the in the heavyweight division, so the heaviest division. You know, she was a, a large person, as strong as an ox, because that's what her sport was. But she, her like the amount of like hate she received for being a body type that was beneficial to her sport and being very good at her sport was enormous. This is just straight up sexism and it's very easy i actually uh, did this in the video if you just find large athletes who happen to be standing next to smaller athletes you can make that comparison with cis women athletes and trick uh transphobes into agreeing with you like it's it's just garden variety sexism dressed up as transphobia now oh well it's it's transphobia and sexism but the root of it is still that 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 just gold garden variety sexism well one thing you've even run into a little bit of it because of a tweet that you had, that you put up on March 21st. Cause remember you said you weren't good. Okay. Good or not. You were a competitive athlete. You, you've put yourself in a competitive arena. You said you, you had to make this disclaimer. I was never a great power lifter, but just in case someone tries to use this soy boy has never lifted a weight in his life, line of reasoning. Here's my power lifting totals from my last week in 2015. So in a sense, you've run into this. I mean, what, how has this, how has some of the enmity you've gotten in doing this video kind of homed and shaped kind of where you stand on these issues? So I've gotten what could be considered, uh, I've definitely gotten homophobic abuse, but I've gotten transphobic abuse from people who assume that I uh, must have been like assigned female at birth. Why else would I care about these issues and be like advocating for them if I you know, didn't have a personal stake in them? So if I am getting that, like trans people, like the that is like, one percent of what trans people must be going through at any given time and of course i have a lot You're of not wrong <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> yeah i i have a lot of trans friends who like tell me this like the, the vitriol directed at my trans friends are is just enormous and like and it spills over into like other people as well it, it is a shotgun blast of bigotry that doesn't always only hit its target and of course when it does it's it's it, it's horrendous and so i ha- a lot of people, instead of engaging with the research, which is tough, there are like 75 sources in my video to go through all of them, uh, with the vast majority of which are like peer-reviewed studies. That's tough. What you can do instead is do an ad hominem attack where because this person doesn't look like he lifts weights, I guess because, you know, I mean, you can just hear me from the way I sound. You can definitely tell that I don't lift weights based on that. Uh, or because I, I, I smile sometimes. I smile weird. <laughs> Yeah, if you smile folks, like this, folks, he's smiling weird. Just so you know. Yeah, it's it's a wrong smile, which means you've never lifted weights before. At, once your once your bench press hits two plates, you actually are not allowed to raise the corners of your uh, mouth past a certain degree. Uh, everyone already knows that, and so like, so they're they're trying to look at superficial characteristics to delegitimize your opinion because it's way easier than actually engaging with the topic. A lot of people like there is a comfort in uh bigotry there's a comfort in staying with the status quo and not having your positions challenged and a lot of people will default back to that because it's just way easier than considering that hey there might you might there might be a lot to this issue that you don't know and i think that's uh one of the reasons that uh any discourse it it can be toxic people don't want to be convinced that what they've thought for the longest time is incorrect we have so much more to talk about their sound is playing, the sound is playing, and we need to take a break, pay some bills. Carly and I will be right back. You're in the Transporter Room. And we're back in the Transporter Room. 
Justin Gibson is our guest. Carly Chardonnay-Webb and I are talking about science. Science! What is the biggest misconception of science that you've ever dealt with, Justin? Not just trans science, but science in general. Oh, see, there's been a lot since I was like in the in the mood for this topic. I can you get, probably give the biggest one. Probably the biggest one is that there's a there's a difference between like male muscle and female muscle. When for all intents and purposes, as long as those two muscles are the same size, they produce the same amount of force. I think that's the biggest one. That it, that male muscle isn't just larger on average, but that like fiber for fiber, each individual fiber is stronger when really, no, that's not the case. I think that's probably the biggest one uh, in this discussion. As far as like, I don't know, once you, when you hear like, when you're on the internet for any length of time, if you go on the internet for about 20 or so seconds, you'll hear the, the most wild outlandish scientific claim that you've ever heard in your life. It all just kind of washes over you. Like it doesn't hit. It's like water off a duck's back. You hear the claim and you're just like, oh, I can't process that someone thinks like this or, or for my own like mental health. I'm just going to have to let that one go. <laughs> Justin, I want to get your reaction on some on on a quote unquote fact that people, especially Emma Hilton lives on this and that the women's world record holder in XYZ given sport is easily outdone by 600 high school boys in Kentucky. Have you, What's your thoughts on that? I want, how many sports has she watched? Like I like, so I like watching like uh, X games, right? Because I'm still a nineties kid at heart and I love watching my skateboarding and snowboarding, all that stuff. Routinely, there are teenagers. And when I say teenagers, not 19, 18, there are 13, 14, 15 year old uh, kids competing at a at the highest level in these events and doing well. They're scoring well. So this notion that like athletes skew young in most sports by the time you're 25, you're you're, you're an aged athlete. And this is unfortunate. It depends on, obviously it depends on the sport, depends on a bunch of different factors, but usually by the time you're 25, you're considered aged. Uh, and so like this notion that 16 year old boys uh, are like significantly less athletic. Uh, like, no, these are not children. These are athletes who in, in a lot of cases have been training in their sport for 10 years to set those uh, immense records. So, and when you also look at the percentages, they're pretty close. Like I don't, understand this point of comparison that's somehow like because this athlete is not yet a legal adult that they haven't uh reached probably really close to their athletic potential by the time that they're 15 16 17 years old everything beyond that is and it's pure physical sports as well uh of course like there are skill-based sports where you can hone your skills for a lot longer that but in terms of pure physicality the peak is way younger than i think a lot of people think it is i myself can understand why the working group and others say that when teenagers transition, that they should undergo some kind of medical intervention. And we can't require it because that would be like Casa Semenya, right? We can't force people to suppress their testosterone. But the truth is that most trans girls want to stop their secondary sex characteristics, want to adapt to a more feminine or female appearance. So it's sort of a byproduct that most trans people at a, whatever age they decide to transition will seek out some kind of medical intervention. But my problem is not having the desire to force someone to have medical intervention 
means that we have to, according to these cisgender athletes, separate, segregate trans athletes from cisgender girls. And I was wondering if you can help me with that because for me, segregation speaks of discrimination, of the Negro League, of unfairness. And for me, life is not fair, but it can't be fair for one group and not fair for another. There is, if we were to like just look at data, just like look at numbers on a screen, you could probably come up with as many different sports categories that each were more fair than what we have now. Like maybe we have a basketball league that is only for people who are 6'3 and above. We have one that's you know, 5'10 to 6'3, to and then we have one that's below 5'10. That'll be way more fair than the one we have now. Uh, and, there are mi- and there are infinitely more like scientific like uh, categorizations where we can just take two arbitrary groups of people based on a single characteristic and say this group has an inherent advantage over another. Where that runs into an issue is practicality. Like 99% of all sports uh, organizations uh, in the world are like elementary school, middle school, high school. Like these are small organizations with a very limited amount of resources. And so we have to make do with what we have now. How can we make sure that these categories as they are now are the most inclusive that we can have them? Um, so there actually is in that working group – I. I read this first. So I read the, I read the FAQ first. I was expecting something way worse, but like their, um, I think their recommendations weren't the worst thing I've ever ever heard. Like so. So for the record, I do think that there are, broadly speaking, advantages that someone who has gone through the male puberty and stays and has that high level of testosterone. There are athletic advantages. That, I think that's that's fair to say. What so, but they are heavily mitigated by like testosterone is the factor, so they are heavily mitigated if you are on uh hormone therapy, on testosterone suppression, on estrogen supplementation. Those are heavily mitigated to the point where I think that they're basically uh, the differences are not are negligible. And Justin, we can agree, right? Advantages aren't necessarily a bad thing. Every athlete seeks advantages in sport, it's a question of whether are they are whether they are disqualified. Yeah, it's you'll never get rid of uh, of advantages in sport. You'll never get rid of you'll never make everything 100% fair. It's always an issue of what is tolerable unfairness versus what is intolerable unfairness. Uh, so for example, like height, bone density, all these things these are tolerable unfairness. Like uh, you might have picked the wrong parents for your sport and therefore like for me I picked the wrong parents to be a basketball player so I only grew to be 5-7. Just that that's my fault. I should have picked a different mom and dad. Uh <laughs> There are, and there are in, infinitely number of things that are would be an advantage or disadvantage based on that. So we have to look at what is an intolerable unfairness. Um, so for a lot of these cases, yeah, I think, like, because the main reason we have sex segregation as all, sex segregation as all. Sex segregation at all, third tries to charm, is because uh, men are typically pound for pound stronger than women based on that uh, to- those testosterone levels. Just at the same body weight, men can usually have a higher percentage of muscle mass than women can. There's a huge, enormous amount of overlap, but broadly speaking, that's why. If we can take that main factor, the most salient factor predicting sports performance in all the sports where you know strength and power is, is relevant, if we can take that away, we have, in my opinion, mitigated the – an intolerable unfairness uh, in sex segregation in sports. Anything left? Any other advantages? Uh, I think those are well within the range of tolerable uh, unfairness. That's a very interesting way of putting it. When you're looking at some of these things, and you were and you were alluding to it, and I want you to go go back to that. What was first off? What was the thing that you found in 
the women's sports policy working groups um, stance, if you will, that you saw it and you actually shook your head and says, yeah, okay, this they make some sense. You were about to allude to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got sidetracked, absolutely. So if they say that an athlete, like if you uh, get a trans kid on puberty blockers, there's no reason whatsoever to exclude them from uh, their sports participation and their gender identity. That I, you, don't, you don't always see that, and it makes 100% scientific sense, but still a lot of people say that, well, if you have that magic uh, Y chromosome, that means like it's, you're magically not able to compete with women because you know that, that Y chromosome, that's, that's the important thing. At least they, they included that. Uh, they all and they also was happy to see that, like, uh, if they have experienced uh, puberty, but they're on hormones included consistent with uh, existing guidelines that are already uh, pretty trans inclusive. So in included with NCA, uh, NCAA guidelines. I thought that was OK. And then the in the uh, middle ground in between. I don't know if it's perfect, but it's at least not the worst thing I've ever heard. That's if you are have gone through puberty and you have not uh, taken any sort of hormones, either because you don't want to, which is completely uh, fair and legitimate, or because you or because you don't have access to them. Uh, I don't know, maybe because your state has passed a uh, certain trans exclusionary bill that prevents uh, prevents uh, trans health care, which we'll see. Yeah, like one, yeah. Which, is, uh, which is, by the way, something that this certain policy working group does not talk about. But I think anyone in this and I'm speaking, I'm speaking not just as a trans person, but also as an athlete should. Yeah, because to I, me, I will that tell you what they tell me. The they, working group people all tell me they want to it, that be, between they want that to be between the athlete and their doctors, the parents and the athlete. They don't want to get involved in healthcare at all. So they're the basically is, wiping their hands of it. But the problem is if you are involved in sports, de facto, you're involved in healthcare. I don't disagree. I'm yeah, just telling you what they I said. Know, yeah, yeah. I know you, we don't disagree, but that's the thing. That, well, but that's the sticking point for me. Is that Justin, you, finish your point, though. Yes. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is the ruling on uh, athletes who can't or won't uh, intervene medically? In this case, they are they can be a part of the team. They are fully with it. They are on the sports team uh, um, of their gender identity. They can participate in practices. They can travel with the team. They can get all the social benefits of being on the team. Just no head to head competition. Uh, just no head to head like in competition. I that's an interesting. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard. I'll put it that way. So I, I do think that there it shows at least somewhat of an effort uh, to find some sort of like. Uh, middle ground as they they call it it wasn't what i was expecting based on their q a the q <laughs> the q a this this reads like every other turf uh website that i've ever heard in my exactly it See, it's funny because their website screams turf and yet the people we talk to they actually seem reasonable but i i have to disagree with you i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say where i stand on this because i'm still thinking about it but i just can't i can't imagine telling some kid I'm sorry, unless you do hormones, you can't compete. You can only compete against other trans athletes, which can we agree? There aren't enough trans athletes. Joanna Harper said of the 200,000 NCAA athletes, there may be 50 trans athletes in the world. Yeah, that's also that's yeah, that's yeah. definitely uh, that's part of the conversation that is also a little bit overlooked. Like, where is this epidemic uh, that you've heard of? Like, I think one of the uh, so this blew me away. One of these sources they linked, an outdated source, by the way, uh, they've linked to a poll that to say that, you know, most of the American people don't agree that uh, trans women should be competing uh, in women's sports. Most of the public doesn't. And it was an old poll that's outdated from 
Rossman, in which they start the poll with, transgender athletes who are biological males are winning at all levels of girls and women's sport these days, and Americans don't approve. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it does it. A lot of this conversation, a lot of the toxicity comes from if you compete and win, that is that in and of itself means it's unfair. So you want to this you want this scenario in which the only way it would be fair for trans women to compete is if they never win, which that doesn't seem very fair to me. Like if you actually do well and compete as an athlete, which you, most athletes want to win from what mm-hmm. I hear, um, that's so that's kind of faulty on its face and it goes into a lot of the other comparisons that we see <clears throat> like so for example there are a lot of studies like that, that compare like the total lean body mass uh, in trans women versus those of, of cis women which seems like a fair comparison if you don't match for height taller people have more mu- uh, more muscle mass this is just this is just true if you are taller you have more muscle on your frame um, and so if you were to somehow get this group of five nine women to have the same amount of muscle mass as a group of five, four women, those five, nine women would be useless in any sort of sporting arena. They would not be able to compete at any level whatsoever because the amount of muscle on their frame would be like scrawny, tiny, nothing. And so Mm -hmm. if you're going to say that, no, this is the comparison that we're making. If there was no difference, if one group would be completely excluded from sport based on just, they do not have enough muscle on their frame to do anything. This is a ridiculous point of comparison. and, And it, screams to me that this they want to have the veneer the appearance of being scientifically legitimate and we're just we're following what the science says while actively like they're seeking out questions to study uh in that have a pre-built conclusion baked into them well one uh, thing you said rasmussen poll which immediately they always they always slant the field a certain way and i'll admit as a as a person who is a competitor and who is subject to a lot of these rules we're talking about. Don, very much like you, I am torn. I'm torn as well because you don't want it. On one hand, you don't want to tell some kid they can't play. No one wants that. But also, all these regulations that we're talking about, I'm subjected to all of them. I'm subjected to a lot of them, even at the relative park and rec level. To compete at nationals in the sport that I'm in, I'm subject to elite le- to the uh, same elite level regulations that say a high end triathlete cyclist or track athlete would be would be even as an age group competitor. So it's a t- I mean, it, I mean, it's a tough way to go. And I'm just wondering, Justin, on your on your end, as you did the as you were doing the research to build your to build this video and to build some of the things you've put together for you. Was there any positions where you looked at and said, I'm torn as well? That's probably the issue that was the most torn. So, like, there is – the reason we care about sport is not just because, like, the sport itself, because the competition itself has intrinsic value. It's the – all the other social benefits, the environmental benefits, the, the, the like, the health benefits that we get from participation in sport. Like, sport participation has always been uh, a part of almost every civil rights uh, – civil rights conversation that we've had this come uh, in this country and in the world at large sports have always had a place at that table and they've already always played a major part in it so like sport is in, enormously important for everybody involved and so to say that like you know uh to, to have this blanket no you are not allowed to compete in any sort of sport is definitely not i don't think any reasonable person can come to that conclusion and not just say no nah, i'm totally bigoted uh but there's also like there's we also want to have uh, some regulations that make things as fair as we can make them without becoming the unreasonable uh, side of things in that way as well. So it is 
it is torn, but that's the conversation I would love to be having instead where a lot of the public conversation is it's far removed from that. It is way less nuanced. It's presented in a way that is just simple bigotry masquerading as, uh, as some sort of appeal to biology. Like if for a lot of people on the internet, especially, um, their extent, their knowledge in biology is saying the word biology and then walking away. <laughs> so that's the level we're at in a lot of the discussions. We're, so we're not at that level of nuance in most places. This could have been a group. And it, I don't know. You never want to write anybody off. They could have gone that direction because based on these recommendations, it looks like they were at least a, uh, making the attempt. But when I see like those big red flags, those are almost diagnostic that no, there's, there definitely is an agenda there. Like when you load your questions to specifically like refute someone who's not in the room, uh, when they say like, <laughs> are advocacy groups correct when they say this, like, why are you phrasing it that way? Yeah. Like, it reminded me of Monty Python and the, the Judaic front and the people's front of Judea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Justin Gibson. Thank you so much. You can find Justin at SJW Debates on Twitter, um, at Jangles Science Lad. Did I get it all right? Make sure you tell everybody where we can find you, Justin. Those were correct. SJW Debates on Twitter and Jangles Science Lad on YouTube. Yes, they are funny names. Uh, <laughs> um, my name is Justin Gibson, and I had a, a very, very good time talking to you today. Oh, thank you. Carly, set coordinates for Kentucky and beam them back down in one piece, please. I will do, but before I do that, I want to send a shout out to how I found you. Riley Grace Rashong, thank you for having Justin on your Twitch because I caught Justin on your Twitch and now Justin's here and I want to thank you for being here and open invitation, we want you back. Oh, I would back. love to come back and also, yeah, Riley Grace Rashong, awesome, awesome uh, commentator, awesome streamer on them, their internets. Talks about this stuff a lot. She's incredible. You should also check her out and I also want to extend my thanks to her. <laughs> Okay, well, Energize, sending you back to Kentucky. Thank you, Justin. Oh, what a great guest. Such a great find, Carly. Thank you. What you binging? Right now, for all mankind, and all I can say is this next episode, which is the end of the season episode coming up, American Marines with M16s on the moon pointed at Russians. Who'd have thought that World War III starts on the moon? Not me. I've been watching WandaVision, and I have to be honest, I stopped watching 15 minutes in. I was like, what the hell is this? I don't get it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Pitch Meeting, which I never usually like spoilers, but they warn you up front. It's spoilers, and it helped me understand where this thing was going. And I'm just going to tell you, even if you don't like spoilers, Watch WandaVision, stick with it, and then when you're done, watch the YouTube pitch meeting, which will make you laugh. Will do. I, uh, you know, I'm going to take you up on that. Carly, live long and prosper. Study as she goes. We'll see you next week.